This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Investec Asset Management. Value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. It's that time of year when the team at Investec Asset Management publish their annual investment views. To share their outlook for the next 12 months, you can access all these viewpoints by going to www.investecassetmanagement.com forward slash investment views 2019. But right now I've got Jason Bobora on the line to share his views for 2019. Portfolio Manager, Assistant Portfolio Manager at Investec Asset Management in London. It's looking a little bit long in the tooth when it comes to international equities, but I've been saying that and other people have been saying that for quite a while. Indeed, yes. I think in terms of the cycle as it currently stands, there have obviously been naysayers about it for many years. I think one of the differences perhaps that we've started to detect now is that there's a slight fraying of some of the economic data, at least internationally, and certainly from a market perspective, a few more worrying trends starting to develop. Okay, let's look at the macro side of things. What are the worrying trends that you've identified? In particular for us, I think the slowdown in both European and Japanese economic data troubles us. In the US, generally, the data appears to be quite strong. In particular, the last quarter's GDP number remained above trend. But there are some signs, I think, that are slightly troubling. For example, housing data and also in terms of credit data, some of the student loan defaults and various lower credit quality metrics appear to be somewhat troubling for us. Any parallels between what you're seeing now? You mentioned housing and credit, and I look back to 2005, 2006, which was a precursor to what happened in 2008. Any similarities to what we saw 10 years ago, which was obviously very, very, very bad for everyone, not just macroeconomics, but also the markets? Yeah, I think the sort of last crisis looms large in most investors' minds. And it it often is, I suppose, dangerous to drive too much by looking in the the rearview mirror. However, I think one of the more troubling aspects is actually how things look somewhat different. And by that, I mean, whilst leverage doesn't appear to be such a significant issue as it was back in 2006 or 7, it does appear that liquidity is more of an issue. And that's one of the, I think, prospective elements of market returns that investors need to pay a bit more attention to which is that in relatively benign conditions, I think such as those that we've largely seen at least for the last five years, perhaps even arguably for the last nine years, in benign conditions, there's decent liquidity. One is able to trade without having too much of an impact on the price of the security. But in less beneficial conditions, I think there's certainly some troubling signs. And we've seen that through flash crashes in various markets over the last few years, in particular this year's move in The volatility index, I think, caught many investors off guard. And in a, I suppose, asset class specific fashion, corporate bonds and indeed bonds, I think, generally look somewhat troubling from a liquidity perspective. Okay, before we go to bonds, let's look back 10 years ago and say, well, what conditions do we have that are similar today that we had then? We've sort of covered that. But what we have now is trade tariffs the war between China and the United States, which is seemingly an ongoing situation. And we've got also high oil prices. Does that exacerbate the situation? 
There seems to be an ever-increasingly long laundry list of, I suppose, what could be termed macro concerns. And I suppose there always will be some concerns in the background, and that's why investors earn a reward for holding assets. I think, however, the problem now is that there are elements of the cycle which appear to be later. And by that, I refer to the nature of data in both the Japanese and European economies, which we mentioned, but also the move by the Federal Reserve to increase interest rates and now to reduce its balance sheet. And I think against that backdrop, one can paint some parallels perhaps to 2005 or six, in that financial conditions are appearing to tighten. Is it that simple that there is a tightening from the world's reserve banks, notably the US Federal Reserve, and it's been tightening for quite a while now? Is it that easy that interest rates are going to keep on going, bond prices are going to fall, and therefore we shouldn't be in bonds? What is the problem with bonds at the moment? I think our concern actually is not around the interest rate element. The focus, I suppose rightly, given the historical precedent, tends to be on whether or not the central bank is going to raise interest rates. The big difference between now and prior cycles, though, is the use of the balance sheet by the U.S. Federal Reserve. And that was the principle by which they took their pre-crisis balance sheet from about $1 trillion to a peak of about $4.5 trillion by the end of 2017. And even though they had stopped purchasing new assets by the end of 2014, they were reinvesting the proceeds of maturing bonds, which they held on their balance sheets. Now, in 2018, that started to go into reverse, so that now when a bond matures, they're effectively cancelling dollars and so reducing the money supply of the world's largest economy. And that, I think, is where it becomes more complex. And it seems to be having a knock-on impact on a variety of different aspects of investing. So the first is perhaps, yes, bond yields seem to be more supported than might be the case given some weakness in data, particularly outside of the US. But the second is between the relationship of equities to bonds. So for us, one of the big concerns is that actually this pool of liquidity, which has flown from various central banks across the world, is now starting to recede somewhat. And that causes bonds and equities to perhaps have a higher than normal, or at least higher relative to the last 10 years or so, relationship in terms of correlations. I was going to ask you that. What is the historical correlation between equities and bonds? I mean, some people would say that if interest rates are rising, that means there's a good and vibrant economy and therefore the equity market should be doing well. Is that the case at the moment? I think it's more broad than, again, interest rates. It's about whether there's a common factor that should drive the returns of both asset classes. So if we rewind to the mid-80s, all the way from then to the late 90s, there was a positive correlation between fixed income markets and equities. And there are referred to government bonds. With the fall away of inflation in the late 90s, the correlation relationship turned negative, such that fixed income, in particular government bonds, acted as a diversifier within portfolios. More recently, that relationship seems to have become more positive. And in particular, we saw that at the start of 2018, and then again in October, in which bond yields rose as equity markets fell. And so bond prices fell at the same time. And for us, that's a concerning dynamic. And one can paint the common driver there as being perhaps this rollback of stimulus, not simply from interest rate rises, but from the balance sheet tightening of the world's central banks. We've spoken about equities, we've spoken about bonds, but what about currencies? Currencies, of course, are inextricably linked to the bond market and the equity market. Which currencies do you like? Yes. The one thing which I actually wanted to, before we move on to that point, 
cover as well was the nature of corporate bonds. I think that has been a big trend of the last cycle, or rather this cycle, the move into more risky aspects of the capital structure of companies. So buying high yield debt and investment grade debt. And trends within that, so for example, now that triple B rated debt or the lowest quality of investment grade debt makes up around half of the investment grade index, which is nearly double what it comprised before the crisis, I think is a troubling aspect in terms of some of the underlying risks of the bond market. In terms of your question on on currencies and perhaps how that links in with that trend towards more risk in certain asset classes is that there appears to be a an ongoing divergence in terms of the the growth dynamics of some of the world's economies. And I think against that backdrop of increased uncertainty and weaker data, we think that perhaps repositioning towards the Japanese yen makes sense. So the yen acts as more of a defensive currency, typically because many of Japan's domestic investors put money overseas, which when there is a risk off or crisis, they repatriate, causing the yen to spike up in value against other currencies. And so that as an offset to some more risky exposures, such as corporate bonds or equities within portfolios, might act as a more diversifying position than owning bonds. Yeah, in fact, in the piece that you kindly sent me, it says here the Japanese yen stands out as being significantly cheap and offering naturally defensive behavior if equities crack thanks to Japan's status as an international creditor. Also in this piece, you say the following. To conclude your piece, there are selective value opportunities in many areas and a bottom-up security-driven approach looks increasingly relevant at this stage of the market cycle. A focus on attractively valued holdings with attractive yields supported by sustainable cash flows should help to underpin returns in a difficult market environment. Can you expand upon that and maybe give us an example? Yes, in hearing it back seem a bit wordy. Mm. <laughs> so I will try to try to explain it a bit more simply, I suppose. Okay. By it, we mean that it's worth looking, I think, beyond simply the label of the asset class. And it's also worth thinking a bit more carefully about what you're buying as opposed to taking exposure through beta. And by that, I mean owning, for example, ETFs or index trackers. So, for example, within the corporate bond exposure that one might have, considering just because it's called an investment grade bond, is it really of sufficient quality that you should treat it as being more safe than other corporate bonds within your portfolio? So there is a lot of investment grade debt, which from a leverage perspective, we actually would think of as being more like a high yield bond. Within the equity market, we think there should be a focus on those companies which have stronger balance sheets, which have a better history of being able to make dividend payments to investors, as that style at this point of the cycle tends to be more beneficial than owning less, I suppose, lower quality companies. And equally then, from a currency perspective, I think it's important to think about which currencies to have exposure to. Currently, we run a relatively high weight in the United States dollar, and that's simply because owning other currencies tends to contribute more to the risk of the strategy rather than take away from it. But something such as Japanese yen, which has its fundamental reasons, as we mentioned, is well-valued, there are defensive attributes to it, can add something to the portfolio. So we do think that now it's time to move from that trend of being passive in your exposure to pay more attention to active selection. Jason, thanks for your insight. That's Jason Bobora, who is an assistant portfolio manager at Investec Asset Management in London.
In South Africa, Investec Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider.